thank you for doing that tonight. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. We'll be looking at <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Shine the purpose of the church. Shine the purpose of the church. Acts 41 Acts 2, 41 through 47 begins, those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think as I look at that passage of Scripture and think about uh, Acts, um, I was looking at a passage and trying to... Uh, it, this is some time ago... Um, at another church trying to determine how I could explain uh, this passage of scripture and the purpose of the church because that's really what you're looking at I think in that passage it, it, it wasn't too long after that I was reading Matthew five sixteen, where Jesus said let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and deeds and praise your father in heaven and as I read that that word shine jumped from the page uh, and I was thinking, you know, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Uh, and that, that song hit me as well. And that I knew that was the word I was looking for. So we're going to take that as an acronym tonight and use that as the points for five points of this message, shine, S-H-I-N-E. And you'll see those as we go on. As, as I read that verse, then I saw that God had created men to glorify him. That was the purpose, that we glorify him. And unfortunately, you and I both know that sin disrupted that purpose, and we were left with a plan B, so to speak. But now we are his ambassadors, uh, where before men could speak to God directly in the Garden of Eden. That is not true now. And, and so we represent him to all the unsaved. And we shine, in essence, before them. Revelations 4.11, you may remember, You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 5.12 says, In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And isn't that exactly what Jesus was saying in 5.16? I think, I think it is. So, so how do we do that? In what way do we shine? I want to look at some, I think, five practical words that help us to look at Acts chapter 2 and to use that acronym uh, and see it in a new light. First of all, uh, seek. Seek. As you look at verse 47, uh, we read the words, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those daily who were being saved. I think many of the people think that they are a part of God's family. I think some people just assume it. 
Uh, they may recognize that God's creator, and since they're, they're the creation, they must be a part of his family. Uh, I think it's faulty logic, but I think some people think that way. I think they have a false sense of security in that. If they think that they are God's creatures, and because that alone uh, gives them some sort of inside track to get into heaven when they die, uh, it's because they really haven't read the message. But simply knowing about God, even believing in God, that he exists, is not enough, is it? Uh, the Bible requires more from us. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So you know that passage as well as I do, uh, that that gives us some insight that maybe that's not the, the knowledge is not sufficient to gain entrance into heaven. Uh, Dr. Ed Young, some of you may have watched him on television as pastor. Uh, someone asked him one time, they said, are you so narrow-minded to think that only Baptists are going to heaven? And he said, I'm more no, uh, narrow-minded than that. I think not all Baptists are going to heaven. <laughs> you know? And Billy Graham once said he thought half the people in the pew were not saved. And that's, that's staggering for me to think that that might actually be the case. That half of the people that come on any Sunday would not really know Jesus as Savior and Lord. They're lost. I wonder about us sometimes. The way that we share the message. Have the people heard it in such a way that they have come to know Jesus and Savior and Lord? Or are they going to miss it by that much? Because they know the message. Does that mean they have believed the message? Have they sought out that message? I, I think that practical purpose for us in seeking should be twofold, evangelism. One, I think people sh should try to seek God in a, a way other than just, hey, there's a God. But you and I should seek those people who don't know the message of the gospel. Uh, and we should become evangelistic in that sense. You remember, if you, you know the story, they, they, they stood out and they heard the message. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship. As you read those passages in Acts chapter 2, people heard the message and were evangelized. They stood in the midst of a lost generation of Jews and preached Jesus resurrected. That's evangelism. That's seeking people to come to know the Savior and Lord. And when that got to be too cumbersome and too dangerous, they were launched out into the world that was about them, and they began to evangelize other cities and other nations. I think that word seek in the first acronym of SHINE should really remind us of the evangelism that you and I should be a part of, that we are called to share the message of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. I think the second word, not only should we seek and think of that as evangelism, but I think the second word is help. Help. We have to care for one another. I, I look at this passage in Acts and I see the fellowship of the early church that they had with one another. 
you, you, you read in the passage, and there in verse 44, all the believers held together everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. They helped one another. They looked out for one another. You remember, as we told this story early on when I first came, um, that in, in that time when you chose Jesus, it wasn't uncommon to be thrown out of a home because you had chose something other than what the Jews said was the standard way to believe in God. And this is that Jesus was something more than what the Jewish rabbis said, they, said he was. And so they began to be persecuted, and they would be thrown out. They would be thrown out of their job. We talked about that, how that they lost their way into uh, if they were tanners or if they were candle makers or if they were silversmiths. If they didn't get a chance to work through their organization, they were cast out of that organization, and now they were on their own, and they couldn't get jobs. So they were in need. And so here you have the church taking what they have in verses 44 and 45 and and giving that. You know, I look at those verses, and they didn't give a part of what was left. I looked at that. All believers, everything, they had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Everything, it says. It wasn't the leftovers. Uh, I give my time and my energy, and if I've got anything left, uh, then I'll, you know, do something. That's not the attitude that you see in the early church. They all gave everything, it said. I think we skip over that. I think think we, we get excited over the fact that they were sharing, but I think the primary thing we need to look at that passage is they gave it all. Of themselves their ministry of giving was not one that said i'll pay my bills i'll buy the things that i want to buy and then if there's any money left over i'll give it to the church it's not what they said it's not what it says in the scripture they didn't give what was left of their time and energy and money they gave up what they would like to have used on themselves so they could impart it to a ministry of the church That's totally different than what we see, I think, many times today. I think we have to remember that the church's primary purpose is is not to be a welfare agency. I'm not suggesting it should be. Uh, I I think there are some organizations that see themselves as a church, as a welfare organization, but I don't think that it is. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12 basically says, you don't work, you don't eat. Uh, I had a seminary professor who interpreted that passage of scripture. I thought it was always funny. Help me remember it. No loaf for the loafer. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And I always remember that. No loaf for the loafer. If you're lazy, you don't eat. It's not that I'm here to, to watch you be lazy and go over to your house and give you something because you just won't get up off the couch and do something. No, no, that's not, that's not what was happening. They could not work, and they were helping them. They were not allowed to work, and they were helping them. They were thrown out of their family, and they were helping them. That is a difference. So I, I don't want you to, to misinterpret what that is or, or, or all of a sudden see, like some people do in the New Testament, an incipient socialism uh, in, in the New Testament. I don't think that's, that's what it said. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul, and, and he had his own business. He worked as a tent maker. 
And when he went someplace, he was able to do his job. And it wasn't like he was working in some social system that took it and distributed evenly with everyone else. He took care of himself so that he was not a burden on other people. I think we miss that. And uh, I, I don't think it's socialism versus capitalism in the, in the New Testament. I don't think that's that it at all. Uh, but what you do see is people who are willing to seek people who needed salvation and help their fellow believers when they were in need, actual real need, not laziness. Third, not only do we need to seek, we need to help, but we also need to include. We also need to include. You, you look at those verses, and, and I think if you look at verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Then jump down to 44 through 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I, I, I read that passage and I see that inclusion has to use the word fellowship. Um, you know, we joke about, you know, growing up fellowship meant pink punch and cookies in the basement of the church, you know, somewhere. Uh, but that's not what fellowship is, not here. Uh, it's sharing with one another and that, that studying God's word and being a part of a group of people who surrounded themselves with other believers and focused on the ministries of the church, whether it was sharing or whether it was teaching, uh, educating people, discipling. I think that's part of it. Uh, could that be part? Did they share the Lord's Supper? I'm sure it was part of it. But since they did it every day, I'm not sure that that was an everyday focus. You know, they they were there together every day, though certainly. And I and I don't doubt that they shared what was called a love feast occasionally or the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you look in MacArthur's commentary on these passages of Scripture. Here's what he says. Fellowship is the spiritual duty of believers to stimulate each other to holiness and faithfulness. It's most specifically expressed through the one another's in the Bible. In the New Testament, you have Romans 12, 10, 16, 13, 8, 14, 19, 15, 5 through 7, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, Philippians 2, Colossians 3. Over and over again, there are the one another's love one another, support one another, be with one another, do something for one another. That's where that comes. It's, it's the meaning of that word, uh, fellowships translated from the Greek word koinonia. Uh, and that's the word that's used in fellowship. Uh, it is a word that means partnership or sharing. Partnership or sharing. So when we look in the New Testament, those who received Jesus Christ became partners with him and with all the other believers in the church. And as a partner, that meant they were permanent, and it's really the word's usage here, and that they shared what they had with one another. And the joy that's associated with it can be lost 
through sin and neglect. And that's why that coming together for them at least daily helps them to keep that function. Uh, it's one reason why we, you know, why do we have a midweek service? Not everybody has a midweek service, you know. Uh, why do we do that? I think it's this idea of koinonia that drives us to do that, to share with one another, to not neglect the assembling of ourselves together, which is the manner of some, the Bible says. But to come together, even as the day approaches, the Bible says. We do that, and we, we are drawn together, because if we do, are not drawn together, if we do not use the fellowship that is before us in the proper way, we will lose something. Fellowship requires that we ask not what is best for me, but what is best for the group. I think there, there may be a program or ministry that you don't particularly find beneficial in a church. But as a mature Christian, you don't ask the question, what's that doing for me? What have you done for me recently? But it doesn't mean I, I don't support a ministry of the church that benefits someone else. It may not benefit me directly, but it benefits someone else. And if it benefits someone else, I don't need to criticize it. I need to pray for it that it will do its job and bless the people who it's been designed for. So some people who say, I really had a guy say this one time. I, I asked, I was interviewing at a church, and I said, why should people come to your church? And of course, you know, I should have known, first of all, the guy was kind of leaning back on a chair like that, you know, like he, was, he wasn't engaged in the process. He says, they know where we are, they can come if they want. Well, that told me a whole lot about his view of evangelism, you know, or his, even his view of fellowship. And he was serious. Why? I think because we are a part of the body of Christ, I need to put my needs behind others. I know the Lord will take care of me. So I need to do what I can to help everybody else around me and trust that the Lord will take care of me. I'm, I'm sure we do things at our church here that some people may not like. Sometimes I even hear about it. Some may not uh, 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 like a certain music. They may even tell you about it. I'd rather hear this or I don't like that. Or, or, or maybe when the guitars were playing, some people didn't like the guitars. It, it, it's, not, you know, it's, it's not the big issue, is it? I don't think it should be. The big issue should be the big thing that we seek people, we help people, we include people, and not worry about the minutia that's around us. We, we never compromise on the important doctrines of the Word of God, certainly. But the things that are not as important, I think we need to bend backwards and try to keep the peace as much as possible and help those who need help and include them as possible as much as possible if you have your bible turn with me to philippians for just a second Gephic. i remember it in galatians ephesians uh, that's how i remember flip get, get the order colossians philippians chapter 2 find uh, Philippians 2 verses 3 and following uh, I will just start with one if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ or any uh, comfort in his love if any fellowship there's that word koinonia with the spirit any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete 
being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and in purpose. And, and get these words, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same that was of Jesus. We read that passage, and, and <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever think that we are called to do nothing? <laughs> In this case, do nothing out of self-interest. Uh, uh, do nothing out of selfishness. But do and think of others more highly. If we're going to have true fellowship with others who are part of the body of Christ, this body and the, the body eternal with everyone else who's a believer in Jesus, then it is vital we get involved with each other's lives and put other people's interests ahead of ours. So the first three, seek, help, and include. And the fourth is nurture. Nurture. If you go back to Acts uh, 2, again and look at, at verse 42 again they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer we look at that passage and i think they nurtured one another i heard a story about a little girl who was sitting in a in a bus stop across uh from someone and man was uh talking uh to her as she was reading she was reading her bible and he said what are you reading he said well i'm reading the story of jonah you don't really believe all those stories and those miracles, do you? She said, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. What, what do you think it was like for Jonah being in that well for three days and nights? She said, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. He said, well, what if you get to heaven and he really isn't there? She said, well, then I guess you'll have to ask him. <laughs> I think verse 42 tells us that we need to learn God's word. We need to study God's word in his doctrine and understand what is there and believe it scripture memory learning how to share your faith learning how to study the bible learning how to uh, understand the basics of our christian life and walk what that means to us and not being content to spend the rest of our lives as baby christians uh, immature uh, you know the new testament talks about that you know uh, do we drink milk or are we eating meat uh, have we grown up? Uh, are, are we studying the word of God in such a way to develop ourselves into the people that God wants us to be? I, th I think that growing in Christ and becoming more like him is certainly possible. It, it's said in the New Testament, we can do it. How do we do that? Well, I think first we pray. I think we pray something like, Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to be like you, Jesus. How do, I, how do I get to be more like you? We better be ready for Jesus to start doing something in our life when we pray that prayer, because I believe he will if we pray it honestly. I, I think it's often that, it's, it, that it is going to mean that he might put us in a difficult situation. If we're going to be more like Jesus, we can account on suffering, can't we? Situations we don't like, situations we'd not rather be in, but we need to pray that prayer. I want to be more like Jesus. I think also... I think, you know, we need to pray, Lord, use me. I want to be more like Jesus. I think, secondly, we need to pray, Lord, use me. 
I, I want to be just more like Jesus. I want to be useful in, in this world. I, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I, I want to watch from, from uh, a distance. I want to be used by him. Help me to make an impact in your kingdom. I think it's what you're praying when you say, help me to be used. I want to do something. What do you want me to do? I think is, is kind of the same thing. Use me. What do you want me to do, God? Thirdly, I think, I think we need to expect to be used by God and face trials and seasons of walking through difficulty. Uh, Coach Roy Williams said, uh, Coach, uh, one of the players came up to him, Coach, I really want to play in the final four this season, but if you don't mind, I'm going to sit out over here on the bench and take it easy and not practice. You think the coach would have let him do that? You think, it, you think that's the way anybody gets to play? No. I don't think if we don't pray for God to use us and expect that we're going to have to earn some of that by doing something, I don't mean earn salvation, but I, but I mean if we're going to develop and grow and mature, we have to earn that. We have to own that ourselves. You don't make a difference unless you practice and get prepared, and that's the way God prepares us through putting us in situations that require us to trust him, believe him, and to go through sometimes some difficulty. I think that's why James said in James 1, count it all joy when you face various types of trials. They're going to come. You know, when it comes, know you're in the heart of what God is doing. If that's going on in my life, I must be where God wants me to be. I think sometimes when we face trials, we think, what have I done wrong, right? That's the first thing that goes through our mind. What have I done, God, that you're punishing me? It may not be that God's punishing you at all. It may be he's using you to reach somebody else, to touch somebody else, or, or to develop you into the person you need to be. There comes a time when we have to grow up spiritually, and unfortunately many Christians are content to stay spiritual infants. So if you want to make a difference for Christ, you have to develop. Well, we've looked at seek, we've looked at help, we've looked at include, we've looked at nurture, and now I want to use the last exalt. Exalt. Verses 46 and 47, as we read those, Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We exalt the Lord, I think, by worshiping the Lord, by lifting him up and, and giving him the glory that he needs. And we do that through, through worship. I've told this story before, but it fits so well here. I wanted to do, use it again. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the preacher Thomas K. Beecher was substituted for his famous brother, Henry Ward Beecher. If you know anything about history, you read he was a famous preacher and writer. His brother was not so famous. And so Henry couldn't be there, and so he asked his brother to be at this church in Plymouth in Brooklyn, New York. Well, many of the people had originally heard that, that the, 
that Henry was going to be there and not his brother. And so as soon as he walked to the pulpit, people started to leave and, and walk away from the congregation. They, they came to hear Henry Ward Beecher, not his brother, to which he said, all those who came here this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher may withdraw from the church. All those who came to worship God may remain. I wonder sometimes on the big television shows and the large auditoriums who they came to worship, who they came to hear. Was it the famous, engaging person on the stage in the spotlight? Or was it God Almighty? We need to be careful who we worship and who we give our devotion to. Bastel Barrett Baxter, a writer, wrote this. There are some who think that the church is an organization like other organizations. It's true, the church is an organization, he says, but it's not primarily an organization. Rather, it's a new way of life. It's a way to live. Those who have that view, that being a part of the church is like being a member of a lodge or a luncheon club or a political party or even a business, are seriously mistaken, he says. Such people feel they should give to the church the same kind of support and loyalty that they give to these organizations. A little bit here, a little bit there. It becomes my church as it, it's my club or my lodge or my party or my team. The Christian's loyalty to the church, however, should be unique, he goes on to say. It's a loyalty to Christ and a way of life. It's a loyalty to Christ and a way of life. The church is no other institution, like no other on earth. It's not a person's membership in the church that is like the lunch club, but it's a membership that sustains us. It's a membership that's vibrant. It's a living organism, not just an organization. It's not cold. It's not structured like those other groups goes on to say some make the mistake of thinking that the church exists for entertainment i think of all the smoke machines and light things that you know you go to some church and you see or the enjoyment of its members i really like that song today i really like that message today was it just about enjoyment that they came on the contrary he says the church exists in order that members may have an intimate relationship with the living god and a close relationship with mankind. An intimate relationship with God and a close relationship to mankind, that's what the church is. So, what's the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to shine. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look at that word and we're reminded of what you want us to do, to seek, to help, to include, to nurture, to exalt. Help us to do that and not just see it as a, one of the things we're a part of, the things I, I go to, but a lifestyle that changes us and the people around us. Help us never forget we are a part of you, not an organization. We pray in your holy name. Amen. What prayer requests do you have today? that we need to remember. Yeah.